0: Welcome to Preserving Valor, the podcast dedicated to saving the personal stories of veterans. My name is Jay Vissers. This is the fourth and final episode in the story of U.S. Army Air Force veteran Joe Henrietti. In the last episode, Joe told us about living on the base in Rackheath, England, and what he and his crew got up to when not flying missions over Germany. Joe's crew flew 14 missions over Europe before the war ended. Stay with us as we delve deeper into his experiences.
1: Oh, we were flying and pretty soon, uh, long story short, they declared the war over.
2: Throughout the world, throngs of people hailed the end of the war in Europe. It is five years and more since Hitler marched into Poland. Years full of suffering and death and sacrifice. Now, the war against Germany is won.
0: What happened to these men and others stationed across Europe once the fighting stopped? It wasn't as straightforward as you might think. According to historical records, when World War II ended in Europe, American soldiers didn't immediately return home. Instead, they faced a period of uncertainty
2: Inside Germany itself, the Allies seized the famous stadium of Nuremberg, scene of countless Nazi party rallies. With the capture of this famous southern German city, the American flag blouts out the swastika.
0: The bulk of hostilities in Europe ended in early May of 1945, but it was another month before the U.S. soldiers knew what they would be doing now that the war was finished.
2: In a symbolic gesture, American troops destroyed the Nazi party emblem.
1: And then we had, we had a lot of fuel over there. So we, uh, our squad, our uh, CEO of the whole thing, why don't we take our ground crew and the people worked on the ground and take them on a mission like we would go show them what we did with their work. They got us ready for the mission. See, we wouldn't have to do anything. They brought that plane back. They cleaned it. They had a, all your bullets all set up, your bombs were, and it was all tested again. And, and they got us going. Not only that, but then the ones for the weather and all that. They'd have to give us the weather report and the briefing and everything else. So we'd fill up the plane, and I forget how many times we went to show them the different. Says that we we bombed to show what we did, because they were still there. The buildings were still down, you know. So we took them around because we had enough gas, and we didn't know what to what they were going to do with it. So. so we used it up that way. Yeah.
0: On Joe's 20th birthday, a fresh set of orders arrived, bringing with them a wave of relief they were all destined to return to the familiar soil of the United States and a brief respite from their duties. 30 days had been allotted for rest and recuperation, a time to refresh their minds and bodies and perhaps even indulge in the comforts of home they'd sorely missed. Once rejuvenated, they would head to their next assignment, the base in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For the return trip to the US, instead of taking a ship like they did before, the bombers would load up with as many of the ground crew as they could for the flight back across the Atlantic Ocean.
1: But when the ground crew knew we were, they were flying back with our plane, Some of them ne- most of them never flew before. But I'll tell yeah. you, they went through the fine tooth comb, new tires, you know, everything they could put on. So, no, we, they put on one new engine for us, and the other was practicing. And uh, yeah, a well, lot were sick, paper bags, sick. And I see the planes now are a lot better. I mean, it, you don't get the action like we would. You flew back by yourself, not in a formation like we All do right. on You're on your own, take your own route back. We landed in, in Maine, the last one in the state, no, the first one in the States. And that's the base they have the B-24 and a lot of planes on right now. We landed there to fuel up, and then we went to Bradley Field where we left our plane.
0: Joe's journey in service unfolded over a period of about two years, marked by camaraderie, shared sacrifices, and countless stories. However, that particular flight returning to the U.S., engraved in their collective memory, would be the final one they embarked on as a cohesive unit the end of an era it was a poignant reminder of the bonds they had formed the trials they had overcome together and the irreversible passage of time the pilot and i got to be the best of friends yeah.
1: even after the war me my wife which she'd been dead for 30 years and my daughter would we were the first ones to make the trip down to Iowa. I forget what the town was in Iowa, or the city. And we stayed there while I was working. And then, a few years after that, he called me and he said, he's got bad cancer. My wife had died already, and he said, if you can come up to, well, lower, lower, upper lower peninsula. forget the name of the town. But he had to be up there for a wedding for some good friends. And he said, the cancer is going to get me pretty quick, so let's have our last get-together, which I did. And we went down there. The nose gunner, and that was the only one that I'd seen after we broke up. I seen him once in H. he lived in Waukegan. I seen him once in Waukegan. I think that's all the time. I actually seen anybody from the crew, but we used to keep in touch more so with our wives. Yeah. They'd be the letter writers. I still got all their, uh, They're, they're, uh, what do you want to say it, where they live, in my address, the addresses, in the book up there, yeah. And finally that one kaputs too, as we grew older, I think, I know I'm the only last one left in that coup, for quite a while.
0: Once his 30-day furlough ended, Joe headed to Sioux Falls, which became a sorting hub for the Army Air Forces. Soldiers were categorized based on their service records and skills. This transition marked a significant shift from wartime operations to peacetime military planning. The whole Air Force was there. There were so many
1: of us, we had to have passes to be out of our barracks. Out of our barracks, there was no room for that many people in that, I forget what base it was in. So Falls, South Dakota. Now, we were going back, I was going back to to study to be on a 29. So it wasn't there too long like that, but I got pulled out in, where the heck did I go? Nevada. I think it was Las Vegas. Yeah, and that's where I was studying on the ground to be tail gunner on the B-29. Never seen a B-29, but it was all bookwork and studying.
2: The B-29, scourge of Japan's home islands. mighty engines of destruction bringing home the lesson of Pearl Harbor. From hard-won Okinawa, from the carrier-based planes of the third and fifth fleets, Japan came under the inevitable reign of ruin.
1: And I sure wish I would have been able to fly, well, not in Japan over Japan or them, but just to fly around. Because I never was in a B-29. Now, when the war ended, you would, to begin with, our B-24 was put in mothballs in Tucson, Arizona. They still do that with the planes that are, they're still worthy to fly, but they're just keeping because there's no one that's taking their place. Right. B-24s were put down there in mothballs. They could still that plane could still make it from bases against Russia.
0: Cold War. Okay. World War II ended entirely when Japan surrendered on August 14, 1945, as announced by President Harry S. Truman.
2: Meantime. The Allied Armed Forces have been ordered to suspend offensive action. The proclamation of V.J. Day must await upon the formal signing of the surrender terms by Japan. Newsmen rush the President's report to a waiting world. and Through the early evening, Tuesday, August 14th, the fateful news is flashed. In New York City, as throughout a rejoicing nation and world, vast throngs of grateful happy people celebrate the end of fighting the dawn of peace two million New Yorkers jammed Times Square it's official, it's all over it's total victory All night long, the rejoicing continued. Never before in history has there been greater reason to be thankful for peace. The world's free people are united in their determination that the world's peace shall never be endangered again.
1: Now, we thought war ended in Japan. We're going home. I don't know. Long story short, from Nevada, I think I got shipped down to Shepherdfield, Texas, where I started. And when you get called out, you're going down this base, they're going down that base, Shepherdfield, Texas. And there was another person that was, he was getting shipped down there also, not from our crew, Joey. Well, you hear about that, you hear about it. I said, I've been there. I said, nothing but mesquite bushes and sand. Oh. And I was put into the uh, mess squadrons. Huh. Well, I didn't like that very good. The food wasn't that great. <laughs> and anyway, I had to go there, reported into the main office. There was a tech sergeant. He came in there from the 15th Air Force, which was down in Italy. But when he came back, they put him there and he had a pretty good job there. And I said, whoa. He said, 8th Air Force? I said, yeah. Oh, Christ, I said, can you do any good for me? Get me out of here. Why? I said, well, I don't think it's gonna be any good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, go to number two mess hall. Now, number two mess hall was the top mess hall of Shepherd Field, Hmm. which is a big field. It's still going. So he goes down there, reports there, there was a second lieutenant that I'll never forget because he had his feet upon his on the desk in his back with his cap pulled <laughs> That made a little noise, he got up but I stood up and saluted. He's supposed to report Oh, okay. Oh, Eighth Air Force. Yeah. My brother was in there. He he didn't come home. He gave me the name, do you remember him or she I said. I said, can you get me out of here? Why? You stay here, you'll have the best job you ever had in your life. What am I going to do? Well, I got to be the, the dining hall supervisor. No, the permanent party. That's permanent party where you're assigned there for, you can be there for years or months or whatever, but you're permanent party. You don't come out like be there for a little study and, and leave to another base. You're there. So number two was the main mess hall. And he put me in charge. I said, yeah, we'll put you in an easy job. Dining hall supervisor. We served permanent party on one side, the dining, big. You know. Kitchen was in the center. The other mm-hmm. side was officers. Mm-hmm. And so, officers would pay a quarter for the meal. Whatever meal it was, they flip your border, they sign your name. Anyway, I stayed in there, and that's on my discharge. It's uh, pretty short. Sure I was there for a few weeks, and the Mets sergeant, he was big, pretty heavy, and he got sick. And he went to the to the hospital and was there for a day. And they they called out to the mess hall. he said. They're going to need a new mess sergeant because he won't be coming back. So the same second lieutenant, I said, who is we going to drag in for mess sergeant? Our names were on a board with all the personnel and they're like a little slot where you'd put their name in. Mm -hmm. He took my name and he said, you're the new mess sergeant. Oh, well, I know what to do anyway, as a mess sergeant, excuse me, in in that position, you could name it what you wanted. I had two cars, two of the the cooks. They lived close to the base. Mm -hmm. And I said, boy, do you guys have cars? He said, yeah, he said. I said, could you go home and get them? Yeah. I said, well, I could use the car quite often. If would go home, and you guys can cover for each other on the afternoon shift. So they did that. But the cars, one was a 41 Chevrolet black, one was a 40 Mercury black. And on there, the, the sun would really deteriorate the black paint. Hmm. So one day in comes a permanent party, big guy, and you the staff sergeant. I said, What do you do? You don't have a lot of paint on it. You know, he said, I'm in the paint shop, heading to the paint shop. Hmm. Could you paint two cars? Huh? Paint two cars, he said. Well, they wouldn't look too good in all the drag. Tell you want? he said. You fix them all up so all I have to do is paint them. We, got, we had to mask them, sand them down. He said, I'll paint them. Ooh. but you got to get me to paint. Okay. What's it going to take? What do you got? They come into the walk in cooler. You've probably never seen it, but the sliced bologna that comes in now, sliced about eight times and the package, they used to come in a tube. And it was and they'd hang it up by one end, and that would go onto a hook. Or we'll walks into, into the walk-in core. He said, what we'll about one of them? Yeah, he said, "They can pick that up. So you can, take can hold it all. Well, buddy said, that's only for one car, you
0: know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you could bargain, getting things, you know. Right. Bargaining, oh boy. But pretty soon they took me on flying status, and then they wanted me to sign up for five years. And the base was—they were taught that the base was going to be no more. So I thought, "Oh, if I can <clears> keep on this job right there forever," but I said, "No, nope, I'm going to take my discharge." Not only that, see when they—they. They kept us in the service, they kept us on, like, our planes. my didn't tell us that. Hmm. No, because if the war in, in Russia got too bad. Our plane was there. Joe was on the base. Pilot was over here. All the whole crew was still there. And they just, you didn't necessarily get back, put back on the same crew, but you were a crew that could get that bomb, bomber going. And, you hit towards Russia. But in the meantime, then that's cooled down quite a bit, and it was time to get us off flying status. So that's where I took my discharge then, and I think it was San Antonio, Texas. And then they paid me to come back to Moha. So, so once you got back here, did you go back to work right away? There weren't any jobs. There well there were very few jobs because of so many of us coming back. Right. Anyway, they paid us unemployment. 50 to 20. We'd get twenty dollars a week for fifty-two days, one year.
0: Hmm. After World War II under the GI Bill veterans were eligible to receive a weekly unemployment benefit of $20 for up to one year while they were looking for work. In addition, the act provided veterans with other benefits, such as funds for college education, low-interest home loans, and job counseling. Anyway, I got a job with the,
1: one of the logging companies in the area my office was above the old bank down in the corner and uh, I did that and then a buddy of mine went to Lansing his uncle was pretty high in the uh with the i want to say the big wheels and he said come on down with us it pays a lot more than up here, so me and my wife got married and we went down to Lansing, worked
0: for Rosalville. Are there any lessons that you took away from your time in, in the service that you you still hold on to? Superstitious. Yeah. Thirteen, I won't take a
1: thirteen. Here's ago going, you'd go and get your license plate, you know, if I could see that thirteen was coming up some way in a number, or, in addition, uh, it used to be lined up. I'd wait till somebody else came up and grabbed that number, and then i didn't. that number. Never walked under, under a ladder. What the heck else? A black cat. My wife would hang on. Oh, if one process says we're driving, because <clears throat> she knew what was happening. This boy was stopping. <laughs> black cat. <laughs> That's Next what I said. Think. Oh yeah, I stopped and she knew that I wouldn't have to tell her I'm gonna break, I'm not gonna pass that. But it's uh, how else should I Learn how to manage things, keep yourself clean. Who else? Save money, because get along with people. Yeah, because you had to, uh, with so many, the crew was little, but I mean the menu you would go to the PX with, have a beer or whatever you wanted. And uh, so I would say, yeah, and then you got connected with government. How should I say? You made sure when you were 21 see, you voted. No, see, I wasn't 21 till I was home for a while. Appreciated what you got. Most kids right nowadays, they they don't realize how good of a thing they have. A lot of them didn't earn a nickel when about 10 or 18, they were living on mother and dad. And some still do, but our mother and dad didn't have that much money to give to the kids.
0: You were on your own. Is there is there anything in particular you'd like people to remember um from there about your story? I never
1: thought of it till people like you came there and asked me for it. <laughs> and you better tell the truth. Sooner or later it's gonna come back. Oh yeah, it's gonna come back to you might forget a little bit for different words or stuff like that, but
0: The principle of that story better be true. Joe, at the age of 95, carries a treasure trove of experiences and stories. He shared his perspective on the transformation of American society over the course of his lifetime. It's been divided.
1: I'm a Republican. I spin my way, but you can be a Democrat. Years ago now, we could be Republicans and Democrats. Good neighbors, good friends, good family. And when a, how should I say it, a presidential election came out, your side won, yeah, we go with that, no problem. Good friends, do what they were told and everything else. But now it it is so divided, and uh, boy, it's getting worse. And in this election now, oh boy, there, there's so much. It's not done properly before when one almost elected the other one said come in and we'll take home we'd go over the books whatever they do and make you to check out and they'd still be friends but probably not happy friends but it would go so everybody sugared went oh, legally it's got to be legal to run this country and and you have to have police both sides are got wrong things they're doing but time we get together and heal the wounds because uh, our country's going to help to my thinking to my thinking yeah, it's going on the tube and it's going to take a long time to to uh, get back in order.
0: I am incredibly grateful to have had the chance to listen to and share Joseph Enrietti's compelling story of service during World War II. His experiences offer invaluable insights into a pivotal time in history. An unedited version of our interview has been submitted and accepted by the Veterans History Project at the Library of Congress we extend our deepest gratitude to joe and all the veterans who served alongside of him their courage sacrifice and dedication are a testament to the spirit of service and a reminder of the price of freedom to ensure you don't miss any future episodes of preserving valor remember to follow us on spotify and to subscribe to our Substack. We look forward to bringing you more stories of real veterans in our next season.